You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to James chapter 2. Welcome again. Thank you so much for being here. Have you ever asked yourself this question, why do we do what we do on a Sunday morning? Why do we come together? Why do we have coffee in the back here at Freedom? Spend some time loving on one another, come together. Worship team gets up here. We all sit in a chair. We all sing songs together, three, four songs maybe, not really set order. And then we have a time of communion And then we have a time to give the Lord our best, and then we have a time to receive the Word of God, a time to allow the Holy Spirit to uh, let it sink in and apply. Have Have you ever asked yourself why we do that? Well, see, we don't do that just because. There wasn't somebody that said, hey, stamp an order to Sunday, just lay it on there, this is what you have to do. There's a purpose, and the purpose is this. When we come together as the body of Christ, God promises to do some very significant, important things in your life as an individual. He promises to grow you. He promises to transform and and change you. He promises to sometimes, for some of us, knock some of the things out of our life that have been standing in the way of us experiencing the fullness of God. He promises to reveal himself as a loving father in a greater way. And so when we sing songs together, actually what we're doing is that we're setting up our hearts to receive that truth. How many of you know that the songs we sing are more than just words on a screen and and notes on a page, going through speakers? It's so much more. When we join together in one voice and we sing out in unity, what's happening is our hearts are being prepared. And then when we move into a time of communion, what we're saying is, Jesus, it's through you and through your sacrifice only that we receive all of this. We receive the goodness of the Father. And when we come to the Word of God, what is happening is that the Holy Spirit is transforming our lives into everything God has created us to be. And I can promise you, if you'll lay that little simple thing that we do on Sundays over every day of your week, your life will begin to take shape in a greater way than you can even imagine And that's good news. Why? Because God is doing something amazing in you, something beautiful in you. You are important to the kingdom, okay? All right, in James 2, we've been spending the last two weeks going through James, talking about authentic faith. James is a really unique Bible uh, book of the Bible in the New Testament. James, we know, is the half-brother of Jesus, Jesus' little brother, if you would. But James didn't believe in Jesus until after Jesus was crucified on the cross, laid in the tomb, and rose again. And the Holy Spirit spoke to James. James came to faith in in Jesus and who Jesus was more than his half-older brother, but as the Messiah, the one who's come to remove the sins upon the the stain of sin upon every person, even James' life, yours and mine. And then James becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was significant. Jerusalem is where God, before Jesus, where the temple was, before God's presence was. But Jesus also promised something. He said, listen, hey, when I go, what's going to happen is this, is that you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And so the center, the hub of the early church was Jerusalem. And James was given charge over this church. But when James had charge over the church in Jerusalem. It wasn't the best place to be. See, persecution had hit 
the church in Jerusalem, people were losing their homes. Christians were losing their homes and, and their jobs. And some of them were losing even their lives. Why do I tell you all this? I tell you this because the context of the book of James is this. No matter what you are walking through, and we all walk through hard things. We all have times in our life where we feel pushed on, pressed on, squeezed. And what James says is this, the faith that you place in Jesus Christ, the one who gives freedom, the one who brings life, the one who is truth, the one who is peace, that faith is going to endure no matter what you walk through. And if you choose to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, what it's going to do is make you stronger, even though you walk through tough times. In James chapter 2, James takes another uh, turn and he says, listen, that your faith must have legs. And in James chapter 1 where he says, your faith must have legs in the midst of the hard things that you walk through, the trials and the temptations that you walk through in life. In James chapter 2, James is saying that your faith must have legs concerning God's perspective on mercy. But mercy has a practical application. See, mercy deals with how we treat other people. And this is what James talks about specifically. And there's an important reason why James is talking about how we treat other people and treating people with mercy. Because there is no greater way for the world to begin to notice the Jesus in us other than the way we treat people around us. Moms and dads, understand that your kids get a front row example of who Jesus is based on the way you treat them if you profess Jesus Christ. Your co-workers are seeing Jesus. If you confess Jesus Christ to them, if they know this is who you are, their prime example of Jesus is the way that you treat them. The way that we interact in society, the way that we respond to the tough issues, even the social issues that face us as a society. And believe it or not, the Word of God has something to say about that. And it's very, very important because it goes back to this foundational truth. Keep your eyes on your story. Because when you remember your story of redemption, you can begin to move out into your redemptive work that God's called you to. You have been redeemed to redeem. And I would like to present to you and let the Lord speak to us this morning that James chapter 2 is really just a story, a, a great principle, a, a truth that mercy triumphs over judgment. And then when we allow our faith to be activated in mercy, it becomes transformational in the world. Let's go ahead and read in James chapter 2. We're going we're gonna to bite off a chunk here. So if you don't have your Bible, you can look up on the screen. You can listen to me. Follow along on your phone, whatever, however you normally do that. In James chapter 2, starting in, in verse 1, it says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into the meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges 
with evil thoughts. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they, are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him, of him who you belong? I want you to listen to this. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, your sin, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, have you become a lawbreaker? Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And right there in verse 12 and 13, I want us to kind of take a note because this is the principle that the Holy Spirit is driving home. What you just heard there was a dialogue that James was giving to the church in Jerusalem about the way that they see people. And here's the idea. This is the, this is the big thing here that James is saying. And no matter what the condition of the church in Jerusalem back when James was pastoring or the condition of our world today, the same principle exists That there are two systems on which we will look at people. And what God is asking us to do is to look at people the way that God does. See, it says something very, very important. You've got to remember the law that set you free. You've got to remember the rule of freedom, the law of freedom that set you free, that put mercy on your life. And when we fail to do that, what happens is this, is that we begin to nullify the work of faith in us by showing the glory of God to the people that God has put us us in the middle of. So James talks about this. He's dealing with people caught into into two worlds, and he's asking them to see people the way God does. How does God see people? Well, God sees people as his prized creation. The Bible's very clear about this. God created everything that we see. Any, any beautiful thing that we see on this earth, God created. Even in the heavens, the things that we've yet to discover. God's created all this. But yet, the pinnacle of his creation is mankind. And when God looks at mankind, no matter of the state and the condition and what they've done, he still sees man as his prizing creation, his prized creation. When God looks at man, what he sees is this. He sees them redeemed. He sees them through the, through the glass or the perspective of the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. When he sees you and I, he doesn't see somebody out of the, out of the reach of the grace of God. I want you to think about that for just a second. Because see, what James does is he layers this out to us and he says, I want you... I want you to begin to see the way that God sees. I want you to look at people the way God looks at people. 
And when God sees us, he does not see the the garbage and the filth that we are doing and we are going through. Instead, he sees past that and he sees through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And he sees a people, a creation that can be redeemed, that can be forgiven, that can be set free. When God sees man, he sees them as loved. He sees them as worth sending his only son to die for. He sees them as beloved. But James is talking to a group of people that aren't looking through that lens, the way that God sees people. Instead, they're looking through the pattern of this world. And the pattern of this world judges differently, doesn't it? It judges based on status. What you have. You know, I hate, hate, hate car commercials during Christmas. Why? There was this car commercial where this guy, this is Christmas, this guy walks out into his driveway he, he sees a set of keys by his bed. He go, runs outside. He hits the thing, and it's a, like a brand new Audi or something. And then he wakes up the next day, and he does it all over again. And I'm like, oh, man, that's a nice car. That's a beautiful car. And we all get the wants, don't we? We get the I wants, the I wants. I want the new truck. I want these things. And there's nothing inherently wrong with those things. But what happens if we're not careful, what we begin to do is we begin to measure off of status, And see, James talks about this. What happens in your congregation when you see somebody walk in? You're going to know exactly what's in your heart, what law is ruling your heart. Is it the law of freedom that is mercy that set you free? Or are you judging by the eyes of this world? And why does James give the context of the church? Why? Because, brothers and sisters, if we can't get it right in the church, then we simply won't get it right outside of the church. The world will judge on race. We don't want to talk about that, but it does. The world will judge off of money, what you have, position, prestige. No matter what it is, these are the things. And James looks simply, very simply, and says, as believers in Jesus, you must be captivated by the law of freedom that brings mercy. When you see people, this is how you should see This is how you should see. And he begins to introduce this, this idea of this perfect law of freedom. And where is this perfect law of freedom that brings mercy? Where he says mercy triumphs over judgment. Where does that come from? Well, that comes from the law that is found from Jesus Christ alone. John 8.36 says this. This is the perfect law of freedom. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. The one who is able to set you free, when when Jesus sets you free, you are free indeed. And where does that come from? Where does that stem from? It stems from the gift of mercy. We didn't deserve it, did we? No, Jesus gave it and he gave it in mercy. When James talks about this idea that mercy triumphs over judgment, what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to bring us to two places. It brings us back into understanding of where we came from, understanding that we, none of us, deserve to stand up, deserve the right to stand before God except for the mercy of Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do is I just want to take a second and I want to explain to you what mercy is because mercy is something that will activate your faith that the world will see that will become transformational 
in your homes, in your workplaces, in your schools, if you say, Holy Spirit, yes, I want mercy to abound in me. Mercy isn't something that was created by man. It's not a characteristic of man. It is a characteristic of God, God alone. As a matter of fact, mercy was originated back in the Old Testament as a God wanted man to know his character, his character of mercy. So what he did to the Israelites in the wilderness is he commanded Moses and Aaron to construct an ark. We call it the Ark of the Covenant. And when they built the tabernacle in the wilderness, there was a special room called the Most Holy Place where the ark was. And God's presence was with the ark. And on top of the ark was this lid with these two cherubims, one on each side, covering this, hovering over it, as almost as if the tips of their wings were touching one another. And God's presence would dwell there, would rest there, and that was called the mercy seat. I want you to hear this. That lid on the Ark of the Covenant, the most holy place, and once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would come in there, would take the blood of the lamb and would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. Why? God commanded it. Why? What was God trying to say? He was trying to get them to understand his heart of mercy because what was happening is that they're not just that their sins were being forgiven, but they were being washed away. It's the big word propitiation. And propitiation means erased, pulled away, gone. What was God saying? He's saying this very simply. Listen, it's one thing to know that you're forgiven. But what mercy says is this, is I don't remember it anymore. It's erased off the history books. See, if I go and I sin against you, I do something to you, I hurt you, I take something of yours, I can come to you and say, hey, Bob, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. I sinned. I am sorry. And Bob can look at me and say, Andy, that's right, I forgive you, don't worry about it. But from that place, I'm going to go back, and my mind is going to go back to a place of condemnation. It's going to go back to a place of thinking who I am, dwelling on that moment, kicking myself in the butt. You're so stupid, I can't believe you did this. Living under that torture. But what mercy does is this, is that it eradicates the weightiness of the sin and wipes it off the books. And so when James goes and says, mercy triumphs over judgment, what he's saying is this, is friends, you've got to understand the one that wiped your book clean so that when you look at other people, you see them with a clean book. Because otherwise, you're going to be under the law of judgment. Why? Because you refuse to come under mercy. See, God originated the idea. It's the mercy seat. Jesus fulfilled it. I want to show you that. Listen to how Jesus is mercy in Romans 3, 25 and 26. It says this. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. 
Listen to this. Jesus Christ became the atoning sacrifice. His blood was sprinkled upon the mercy seat. His blood forever lives to bring mercy, mercy, mercy to everybody who puts their faith in Him. He is the atoning sacrifice. In 1 John 2, 1 and 2, it says this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Did you hear that? Jesus Christ, the atoning sacrifice, the one whose blood was sprinkled upon the mercy seat, not only does it bring us and keep us in the revelation of the undeserved mercy of God by which we stand, but it keeps our eyes focused on God's desire for the world. To be able to see the world. Some of you got knuckleheaded children. You don't know what's going to happen to them. Some of you are like, God, I don't know. Maybe they're not mine. They got switched in the nursery. I don't get it. What's happening? And I want to tell you something like, hey, oh, man, I got that one. Preach that message. No. God, give me a fresh revelation. Holy Spirit, give me a fresh revelation of mercy. Some of you got coworkers and say, did they, after me, did they just hire stupid? I mean, what, what's happening? No, I'm, I'm sorry. That's not the right word. Not so smart? No? That's not it at all. You've got to understand that there are folks that you're working with that they don't have a renewed mind like you. They don't know the love of Jesus that set you free. But here's what you've got to remember. You were once like them. But you know what stepped in? Mercy. Mercy stepped in. And so you've got to say, Holy Spirit, give me a fresh revelation of mercy. Mercy is a calling in us. In 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17, it says, from so, so from now on, we regard no one with a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. It's not just who we are. It's our calling. Mercy is our calling. When the, when the law of freedom, the law of life has overcome us, overtaken us, set us free, and mercy has shown up in our life, none of us deserve it, do we? No. But Jesus in his love gives that beautiful mercy. We stand up and we see. We look at the world a different way. But James goes on here in chapter 2, and he, he begins to give the practical application that mercy must have legs. And I want to, if I can, just read a, a little bit more here in James chapter 2. If we can go back to James chapter 2 and verse 14. It says this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith. Another, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith with my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. 
You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? I'm going to stop there. Here James begins to break down this, this beautiful, beautiful, needed argument here that says this. There were people that stood up and say, listen, I believe, I believe, I believe. I've got faith. I've got faith. And then there were people that were just simply stepping out in good deeds. But James says, listen, you've missed it. Both of you missed it. See, because authentic faith actually produces something. And there's a need for authentic faith on the earth today, specifically when it comes to mercy, to how we see and treat people, even people that are trying to do us harm. And he goes on and he says, listen, there has to be some legs to this. This is an important thing on the earth today. So some practical application for mercy in our life. Two things that we have to do and we have to have. And if you're taking any notes today, please write this down. These are the things that you can take and take hold of and walk out of the the room today and, and begin to use. The first way is this. When mercy begins to have legs and begins to take off and become transformational in our life, it happens when we see people the way God does. I want to talk about that. I know I've mentioned it earlier, but I want to talk a little bit about that in depth. Because here's what somebody's life that has been transformed by mercy does. Justin, you come up. We begin to value And honor people by the way we treat them. See, when we say this, and this is what this is this is this this tough thing that James is driving home, and I want to give this with grace and gentleness here. James is basically saying it's it's not good enough to have good talk about honoring. It's not good enough in our relationships to get up and say, Hey, I love you, I love you, but then in our treatment, it doesn't show the love of God. It's not good enough to invite somebody to church in your workplace, but then when you're sitting around and you're, you're doing griping, talking, arguing, fighting, fussing the same way they are. And what James invites us to is this beautiful journey backwards to say, listen, if that's you, that what I want you to do is this, is I want you to begin to think back on mercy. And has mercy really transformed your life? Because if it does, it's going to be reflected in the way you see people, the way you treat people, what you do to them, how you talk to them. How do you speak to people? How do you speak to your spouse? How do you speak to your kids? Because husbands, can I just be really honest with you? And I'm... I'm there with you. If you look at your wife and you say you love her, but every action you take after that is dishonoring. Wife's the same thing with you. The mercy hasn't transformed your life. Same thing with your kids, your coworkers, your teachers. And so the mercy of God's got to get beyond our, some of our flesh and begin to heal us. See, we need to come back under the law, the perfect law of freedom that says, He who the Son 
has set free is free indeed. And there's nothing wrong if you fit a, hit a shortcoming in that area to say, Jesus, I need your freedom. Because in your freedom, the one who is the atoning sacrifice, Jesus Christ, I'm going to find mercy. You get that? See, the one who sets you free is the atoning sacrifice who brings mercy. He knows what you need. And you got to go to him. This is why James says this, the passage we just read, and it's such strong language. He says, listen, you guys are arguing about some of you having faith and some of you just having deeds, but I want to tell you that show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. And then he goes on and stamps it with this statement that should prick us at the very core of who we are. He says, you believe that there is one God good. Good. He's emphatic. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. See, because here's what's really transformational. It's this, is when a people compelled by mercy begin to live that out by faith. And it changes the way that they act and they respond in this world. It becomes transformational. It moves past words. And then he goes on and he says this. Listen, for our, our mercy to have legs, we, just, we don't just have to see people the way God does, but we've got to begin to step out and move on it. We've got to move out on faith. And he uses two examples of Abraham and Rahab. And Abraham is a stand-up home run because any good Jew understood the faith of Abraham. And I want you to hear this. He pulls out a very specific instance in Abraham's life. It's the binding of Isaac. And literally, Jews to this day go back and they'll talk about the binding of Isaac. The binding of Isaac. When God said, Abraham, take Isaac out Mount Moriah, which did you know is also where the high priest would go and sprinkle the blood for the atonement on the mercy seat. Carry Isaac up that mountain. I want you to sacrifice him. And in Hebrews 11, the Bible tells us this, that Abraham's Faith was in a place that he trusted God in the promise because Isaac was the promise. Somebody who had no kids, who God said, I'm going to make you a father of a nation. And God gave him at an old age, was carrying him up the mountain to kill. But Hebrews 11 says this, Abraham believed that God was able to resurrect him from the dead. What's James saying? Why that, James? James, I think, is stretching us out here and saying, listen, you've got to begin to step out on some things. There's some things that some of you see in your homes you've got to begin to step out on. Some of you, some of you guys see some things in your marriage you've got to begin to step out in. Some of you guys see some things in this community that's going to bring reconciliation and healing. Begin to step out on them. Why? Because it's God's answer for triumphing over judgment in this world when mercy abounds in the hearts of his sons and daughters. But somebody's got to move. 
And then James does this. He brings in Rahab. The prostitute. The one who hid the spies. And looks at us and says this. Just like Abraham's faith was considered righteousness, so was Rahab's. Here's what I believe James is saying. God's not a respecter of person. He sees you. He knows what you're up to. He sees you, and your life isn't significant. It's not discounted. It's not meaningless. It's valuable. It's important. And if you'll step out and trust God in mercy, your life is going to be transformational too. God is not a respecter of person. See, your story is just as important as Abraham's. Your story is still important. Your story is not over until the day you breathe your last breath. And believe it or not, you're not on this earth in a wrong season, in a wrong time, in a wrong generation. You are here no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, at the right time for the right reason. It's so that mercy can abound. Why? Because when mercy abounds, people turn their eyes to the one who can set them free and free indeed. That's Jesus Christ. And this morning, just very simply, it's this. No matter where we are, it's time to let the Holy Spirit take an inspection and say, is mercy abounding in my life? See, because there's something in your hand that's needed for right now. There's love in some of your hands. For the broken, for the orphan, for the abandoned. There's forgiveness in your hands that's going to set somebody free. That's going to teach them the, the truth about the redemption of Jesus. There's healing in some of your hands. It's time to step out in that mercy and that faith. Begin to release it. There's hope in some of your hands. There's life in some of your hands and this is a solution God's heart of mercy combined with your hands moving out. That's it. God's heart of mercy filling your heart, moving your hands out. That's it. That's it. And if you're falling short, if what's in your heart is not matching up with your hands, look at me and listen, please. Grace and peace to you in the name of Jesus, because the answer is this. Go to the one who can make you whole. Go to the one where mercy began and find mercy. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Uh, Lord, your word is life. Lord, I thank you for this beautiful church, Lord, uh, filled with these wonderful people. Lord, I pray right now that they would understand by your spirit the significance of who they are in you, Christ Jesus. That through the gift that you gave Jesus, when you brought freedom, that's where we found mercy. Holy Spirit, help us to stand up in that mercy, that great mercy. Lord, that wonderful love, let it begin to compel and transform our lives Lord, we can all acknowledge that we've fallen short, but Lord, your mercy is so much greater. Father, for those here this morning who are struggling under the stain of their life, 
whether it's been captivated by sin or no matter what it is, Lord, let them find mercy right now. Let them turn to you, Jesus, as the one who can bring freedom and forgiveness and can break the weightiness of condemnation. Let them turn to you and find mercy. Lord, for every one of us here, God, our cry is mercy, mercy, mercy. Lord, for those folks in this place that are struggling with the issues in their home, Lord, they don't know where to turn, what to do, where to go. God, we declare your mercy. Lord, let your wisdom fill hearts, Father God. Let them stand boldly upon your truth and then stand out, Lord, in that mercy. Lord, for marriages, Lord, for for workplaces, God, for every area of our life. Lord, let us become the people that carry the truth that mercy has triumphed over judgment. Because mercy's triumphed over judgment, freedom can come. Lord, we thank you for that. We declare it over our lives. We receive that for our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet, please? Thank you so much for being here today. So good to see all these wonderful faces. God's doing a good thing. Hey, listen, you are loved. You are valued. And I want to declare over you the grace of Jesus. Go and carry and be the wonderful love of Jesus. We look forward to seeing you guys Wednesday for our night of worship. Be blessed. Have a great week.